Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, coming to you from Beijing. After more than 10 days of violence and chaos that have ravished Sudan and claimed over 400 lives, the world needs an all-out effort for peace. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres said this to the UN Security Council. On the 20th of April, Guterres attended a virtual meeting on Sudan, bringing together the African Union chairperson, the Secretary-General of the Arab League and others to discuss ways of ending the violence, how to restore or some semblance of normality in the country, are neighboring countries and the whole region at risk? I had the pleasure to be joined from Cairo, Egypt, by His Excellency Amor Musa, former Secretary General of the Arab League, who is now Honorary Chief of the Board of Trustees for the Egyptian Chinese Entrepreneurs Association. Fighting between the Sudanese Armed Forces, or SAF, and the Peri Paramilitary Rapid Support Force, or RSF, continues in the country. And tens of thousands of people, including Sudanese and foreign nationals, have fled to neighboring countries such as Egypt, Chad, and South Sudan in the past few days. What is your assessment of the situation, of the gravity of the situation, and uh, what are your biggest concerns? It is indeed very unfortunate that Sudan got back to the same tension between uh, several factions involving the army and this time involving a militia which made it very bloody uh, development and as you mentioned resulting in casualties and in flooding into uh, waves of people uh, leaving Sudan. The situation uh, as such uh, requires immediate ceasefire with UN and African Union and Arab League and other interested organizations should be present in Khartoum and should assume the role of uh, bringing the parties or their representatives together to talk. But uh, as you have seen, uh, the, 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 uh, any truce uh, or ceasefire uh, is being violated uh, almost immediately after the deal. Uh, therefore, we have to assume that uh, there are forces behind that. There are uh, some uh, influences coming from directions. I understand the army is supported by the state, but who is supporting the militia? There is no militia without uh, support, without money, without even foreign support at the same time. The claims of, uh, of the militia that uh, the, the, the army is bringing back Sudan to uh, prior uh, system of, of, and the influence of the uh, religious organizations and so on has not been proven. But at the same time, we need and Sudan needs to quiet down and to, to, to talk about the stability of Sudan. I believe that the logical beginning is to talk to the state of Sudan. There is a government and there is an army. We talk to them. At the same time, other contacts should be assumed with this militia. But we cannot accept that there are two parties and uh, we have to be neutral and we have to talk to this uh, on the same level as the other one. This is a militia. Therefore, it is not part of the state institutions. And this has to be borne in mind. If 
today the government is toppled and the army is defeated, there will be a major chaos, not only in Sudan, but in the whole area, uh, like what Secretary General Guterres has warned. So we have to call a spade a spade. It is not a question of a civil war between two equal forces. It is between the state and the militia. We have to start from here. That is in my opinion. Uh, when you said there may be foreign forces, there may be money, influence of money at play here, do you have, uh, on what basis are you making this um, statement? Is it a speculation? Is it your guess? Or have you seen reports? Or have you know of situation that prompt you to make this possible scenario? Yes, the possible scenario is among several scenarios. And we have to be uh, honest. We are thinking. There are certain things that are based on logic and based on past experiences and based, based on when it is based on logic. I'm asking who is supporting the militia against the army? The militia needs money. The militia needs weapons. The militia needs political support. The militia needs people to say, uh, let us uh, find a middle ground between the army and, and, and the, 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 the militia. I believe in, in a kind of uh, logical assessment that we have a state, we have an army, we have a government. This is what, what Sudan, who represents Sudan. The issue of militia is very serious to uh, just support the militias to take off uh, Sudan as if we will support uh, a coup d'etat to replace the whole regime with the militia. Why, why and how could we do that and why? For what reason should we throw Sudan into uh, this kind of, of, of uh, uh, destabilization policies? Just imagine that uh, we replace the whole system of government in Sudan with a militia that we don't know uh, who is behind it. We don't know what kind of future of Sudan they see. Mm. So I stick to what I have told you. Uh, the scenario that I am speaking about is not a question based on re uh, reports, and I'm not an official to to to, to have this uh, kind of uh, uh, all uh, reports and official assessments and so on. But I am basic myself on on logic. Do you think there is any way that uh, the two sides can sit down and talk through, resolve their differences through dialogue, or does it have to be fought out in the battleground? No, it doesn't have to be done. Uh, in the battleground, definitely. Let's agree about that, because this will be bloody. This will the end, the, uh, launch a, a bloody uh, era, a bloody uh, period. We don't know how long it would be, and uh, we have to assess the, the, the very negative repercussions of such a situation. We have to push the situation into uh, a kind of uh, quieter atmosphere for the parties. Uh, for the African Union to succeed in bringing uh, all the, uh, the, the parts concerned. I wish to underline that it is the AU that has to lead, one, mm. and it is the state of Sudan that has to be con contacted in this capacity. It's not uh, two parties, it's a state and a militia or a uh, non-state. Uh, all right.
course. Let's look at relations between China and Arab uh, countries. While serving as Secretary General of the Arab League, that's more than 10 years ago, you said Arab states needed to know more about China. Has that changed? Right. Do you think that has improved by now? And how do you look at the relations between the two sides now? Yes, uh, relations are moving and uh, trade and cooperation are improving, progressing. Uh, the, the, I, I, I see a, a, a very a brighter future mm -hmm. for relations, economic relations, uh, and relations cooperation in so many fields between uh, China and African countries, China and uh, Arab countries. I here would uh, underline the importance we in the Arab world has uh, given to the major initiative led by China, bringing Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran together, this initiative has left uh, or led to very positive repercussions in the Arab world because this intervention or the first act, the first important political act uh, by China, it was to help establish peace in the region. So this is a positive starting point. And we hope that this will continue along the same basis of stabilizing situations. In Africa, it is the same. Africa now is the, a free field. All powers, major, super, major, big and medium. They are all trying to, or buying, or um, competing in Africa. We in Africa don't want things to get back to the uh, days and years and decades and centuries of uh, colonization. The era of colonization is over. Now is the era of cooperation. And cooperation is a deep word when it comes to Africa and the third world. Some people are saying China is trying to change. China is trying to replace the United States as the world's, you know, most powerful country being able to bring, to mediate between conflicts, to bring about peace and, you know, therefore China will exert its influence as a hegemony, that China is trying to topple the, the international order that was established after the Second World War uh, through, and China is trying to expand, you know, expand its influence in Africa and, and in Arab countries. What is your reaction to these criticisms? Well, China is entitled to follow whatever policy that uh, the that, that China uh, finds fit to its present and future, uh, as long as it is peaceful and uh, rests in the in the area of competition, uh, healthy rivalry in trade, in uh, industry, etc. I I believe that the time uh, will prove that both of them will have to coexist. Uh, China is uh, climbing up, is moving up, in fact. The United States is very powerful, in fact, also. So uh, we all have to uh, support a policy uh, of, that would lead to a better atmosphere and cooperation between both of them, and especially, especially that interests between the, the two big powers, America and China.
Somehow the relationship is at a historic low. The relationship is really bad. A lot of very yeah. harsh rhetoric against China. A lot of, you know, talk of war in Washington with China over the Taiwan Strait, for instance, as if that is going to happen and that can happen anytime, anytime in the near future. Um, so what is going wrong? What is going on between the two sides? Uh, I hope that the visit of uh, the, the Secretary of State of uh, the United States or high officials would meet with high officials in China and chart a, a, a road for the future. It is not impossible. And we are not uh, speaking in abstract. We are speaking based on the results of or the, 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 the figures of trade, of industry, etc., etc. We in the developing world are now talking a lot about non-alignment, about a new position taking. We have no interest in supporting this or that country. Our interest is to tell them that the world is not only theirs, it is for all of us. I hope that our talk in, 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 in our societies, it is a non-alignment uh, model the uh, 21st century. Uh, taking into account the mutual interest, interests, the uh, road uh, based on cooperation, the win-win uh, uh, spirit. And I see that in, in the Chinese uh, philosophy and thinking. It's a win-win when the road and the, the, the belt and road is a win-win. But we have to agree on a win-win that is really win-win. Of course, the era of, 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 uh, of colonization is over. His Excellency Amo Musa, former Secretary General of the Arab League. We'll take a short break and when we come back, is China's approach to foreign aid different from the West? I talked to Hussein Askari, Vice President of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Africa has been dubbed the continent of the future, while China is stepping up its efforts to pursue a Chinese path of modernization. How can the two go hand in hand? How has China been conducting aid and development cooperation in Africa and Global South in general? Hussein Askari, a senior expert on China's economic partnership and aid to Africa, has been conducting research in the field for years, and he roots for China as a partner to build infrastructure in Africa and the Global South in general. Why? I was pleased to be joined from Stockholm by Hussein Askari himself, who is Southwest Asia Coordinator for the Schiller Institute and Vice President of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden. Fourteen years ago, you recorded a video in front of the Morowi Dam in Sudan, which was Africa's largest modern hydropower project and it was built by two Chinese companies in that country and you called it an example of international cooperation in a globalized world. What motivated you to do that and why do you say that? Yeah, this is a very fascinating story because uh, at that time in 2009 there was an international outcry that there was genocide going on in Sudan, in Darfur, there was a civil war uh, and the government was accused by the international court. So uh, 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 an organization in Sudan organized an international conference and there were international delegations to discuss this question of was there really genocide in Sudan? And it, it was a typical foreign intervention. 
operation uh, originating from Chad, but the civil civilian population were caught in the fighting. So that was the reason. But in the middle of the proceedings, I asked the organizers of the conference, because of my interest in economic development, that they take all the delegations to the site of the Merawi Dam, because I had read some things about it, which was which fascinated me. So they agreed, and all the delegations from the United States, from Europe, were taken in buses to the site of Merawi Dam, north of uh, Khartoum, the capital. And there you have a completely different world. I mean, this was the most modern construction site in all of Africa. This was the biggest project uh, engaging Chinese companies outside China. The contract was signed in 2002. This was long before the Belt and Road Initiative was launched. And therefore, you had not only a major dam built, the largest in Africa until now, maybe the Renaissance Dam in Ethiopia will surpass it soon, but that was the largest hydropower project. But the Chinese companies not only built the power, uh, you know, the dam itself and the power uh, generation, which was 1,250 megawatts, but they built a completely modern town in the same area for the people displaced by the dam, the villagers. They built a state-of-the-art hospital hmm. with the only cancer diagnosis center inside that hospital in the whole region. They built an international airport. They built an irrigation system which enabled the farmers who were using techniques as old as the Nubian civilization 5,000 years ago. We saw some of it in the, like some of the museum. Now the farmers in that area, the Sudanese farmers, could use modern machinery, modern irrigation system to harvest not only once, but three times a year because Sudan is known as the breadbasket of Africa. Yeah. So the Chinese companies, and this project was financed also, the largest Chinese financing by the Export-Import Bank uh, took the largest share of the financing of yeah. the project. So this was a very fascinating contrast between what being said about Africa, genocide, uh, incredible crisis, the whole West was mobilized, and everybody forgot that this is the model of cooperation. The interesting thing is that it was not only Chinese companies, a German consulting engineering company, La Mayer, was involved, and the turbines for the gener power generation were provided by Alstom from France. So this was a fantastic model for international cooperation in that very spot. And were, were your co-travelers from the West impressed? What were their re reaction? In the beginning, everybody, especially the Americans, we said, why, why are you taking us on this? You know, we are not here for this purpose. I said, look, Africa's problems cannot be solved with military means. You cannot solve it by changing governments because mm. you cannot do that without economic development. Yeah. If you don't have economic development, you will not be able to impose these models from outside. And this has been the perennial problem with the West trying to engineer political change in Africa, which does not really fit, you know, the square and the circle. So they start with, say, if we change the political structure, everything else will change. And that's false, because if you don't bring economic and social benefits to the population... No, why don't? Why don't, we, why don't the Western countries go and build these uh, projects so that there can be economic foundation for any political change? Why are the Chinese primarily going there to Africa, building hospitals, building bridges? Um, what are on the mindset of the Chinese and what are on the mindset of their Western counterparts, according to your understanding? Yeah, well, my understanding through many, many years of experience working in, with African nations and in uh, West Asia, the, the Western model, 
first of all, it considers Africa as a source of raw materials. That has been since the colonial uh, uh, area. Uh, and also you had this uh, notion that you have to teach Africans how to run their own, their governance, because they're incapable of doing that. China's approach is different. China says we are a developing nation. I mean, the, one of the most inspiration sources for me to understand the Chinese policy is a speech given by President Xi Jinping at the China-Africa Forum Summit in Johannesburg 2015, where he said Africa is fully capable of industrialization, exactly as we did in China. But there are three bottlenecks you need to resolve. Mm. And that's the lack of capital, the lack of infrastructure, the lack of uh, skilled labor. If you solve these three problems, you will be capable of reaching industrialization, eliminating poverty. Now look at the difference because China did not say you have to have elections, you have to have democracy, you have to respect the human rights. You have to. Do. China said, look, we have an experience as a developing nations. This is how we did it. You can, you are fully capable of doing the same. And therefore, the two being developing nations coming from the same area from post-colonial uh, colonized nations and uh, dominated nations, they can match their methods of development. While in the West, they are trying to impose a model which does not really fit Africa. How are Chinese uh, proposals and principles being viewed in Africa on the ground or in, in West Asia where you have been talking to and you have been investigating all of these projects, how have them been received and how sustainable these projects are? Because as you said, the dam, the, the initial construction investment, of course, very nice, very high, but to keep the system running on its own without China's assistance, without China you know, injecting cash or, or personnel. Uh, how sustainable are these projects? Well, we have a, a contrast here. We have two different uh, things happening at the same time in these countries. In Sudan, while we have this massive development, which I said, this is a model, this is not the solution, but this is the model you can do in Sudan and Africa. But this has to be generalized because you cannot have half of the country developing and half of the country being destabilized by political, military, and other means. Mm. And therefore, respecting African nations' right to develop, this is the first state, this is the first step you have to take. But unfortunately, we have, a, an, we have an international system until recently, which was dominated by this Western thinking. Now, gradually, and also the view of China has changed, and also of Russia in Africa and in West Asia has changed. And in the recent period, the failure, total failure of military interventions, political interventions by the West, by NATO, by the United States into Libya, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, has shown everyone that this is the wrong way to go. And therefore, the Chinese way of doing things with the Belt and Road Initiative now has finally brought fruit to this. Uh, the Iran-Saudi Arabia uh, normalization process which was brokered by China successfully now is changing the whole dynamic. We have seen that in Yemen now, after eight years of horrible war, right. we have a, a, a new dynamic for peace. Right. And therefore, nations are realizing that working with China, China does have a model for cooperation. The United States does not have that model for cooperation, and it does not benefit the the people and their sustainable future aspirations. Is, 
Is that why you have actually proposed, uh, designed a reconstruction plan for Yemen to build development corridors, one stretching from north to south and one stretching from east to west, with the help of China? And that idea is adopted by the Yemeni uh, investment authority. Tell us more about this idea. Uh, are the Chinese on board, by the way, and why do you come up with this idea? Yes, well, I have a motto in my work is that uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, because that's how you survive in the middle of terrible wars. And my motto is that the future determines the present, which is a bit paradoxical, because if you don't have a vision of the future, you cannot solve the problems of today. In 2018, when the only news coming out of Yemen is that a Yemeni child dies of hunger every 10 seconds, mm. that was the news. But at the same time, I was thinking about how, if we're going to reach peace in Yemen, you have to give the people and the leaders in Yemen a vision of the future, how their future could look like yeah. if there is peace and a diplomatic solution, but based on economic development. So I propose this to friends in Yemen, and we have very, very enthusiastic group there. Uh, one of my friends, Fuad al-Ghaffari, he created a whole group for the uh, study of the BRICS nations, how their development is going on. And he's now the advisor to the prime minister on BRICS affairs in Yemen. And he was very enthusiastic and we had a, a group of engineers and then the Yemeni Authority for Investment said, look, let's do this study. So I looked at the idea of development corridors, which we have in the Schiller Institute, studied for many years. And then we, I, look, I took all the data from Yemen with the help of these institutions about agriculture, rain, how much it rains, the roads, and so on and so forth. And we designed uh, development corridors which will not only unify the country, but it will industrialize and revolutionize its economy because it's a very rich country, but it, its resources have been misused. It has a fantastic geographical location, and that's why the second part is connecting Yemen to the Belt and Road, both by land as a bridge between Asia okay. and Africa, but also on the Maritime Silk Road. The reason I think China is interested because China has a long-term cooperation with Yemen. I remember in in the 60s, they built the first highway in Yemen, and uh, actually many engineers and workers from China died. My friends in, in Yemen just recently, uh, the uh, uh, Chengming Day, they visited the Chinese cemetery mm -hmm. to honor the Chinese engineers and workers who died while building that road. And China is very interested. Before mm -hmm. the war broke out in 2015, China was developing the Aden uh, port uh, container terminal. Yeah. So I have a good knowledge that China is and will be interested in this because to, the way to achieve peace is through economic development. Of course, and especially after countries devastated with war uh, propelled by foreign forces, uh, reconstruction is extremely important. Development becomes ev even more important. We have to leave it there. Unfortunately, Hussein Askari joining us from Sweden. He is the uh, vice president of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden and also a uh, South Asia uh, coordinator for the Schiller Institute. Thank you very much for sharing with us your valuable insights. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin, coming to you from Beijing.